Listen carefully to it. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the lands, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, speak to us. We have heard from your word what you had to say to your people Israel and what you now say to us. Give us ears to listen. Illuminate our hearts so that we understand. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This past week, I spoke to the junior high and high school students at our annual youth camp. About 170 youth were there, and a lot of them were high school students. Um, A lot of them were junior high students. And it was a great joy to take them to the minor prophets. And so I wanted to give you a taste of what I was doing all week, the kind of text that I was working with, what I found incredibly exciting. You can imagine how excited I was to stumble upon a text that I hadn't heard for a while, the text that we just read, which speaks about a building project. We have a building to consider before us, and whether today's vote affirms purchasing this building or whether we continue to look, this text has quite the message for us. This text speaks to us about a building project. 
in which God fills his house with glory. The year is 539 B.C. And the Israelites have just come out of a time of great exile. If you were in Sunday school, you heard about this exile. What had happened? God's people had turned away from the Lord to idols that, that, that only anger the Lord. They had turned away to idols that cannot satisfy. And so the Lord brought his discipline against them. Ultimately out of love to drive them back to him. For many years they spent in exile and in, in, in pagan and foreign lands under the, the power of Assyria and then under the power of Babylon. And then came the great nation Persia. Which by God's providence sparked a season of hope for God's people. Because out of a, a, a pagan land came a king named Cyrus the Great who began to fulfill those promises that God had been telling his people even as they suffered in a time of exile away from the land of promise. Cyrus the Great said, I have a new policy. I am going to grant a time in which the people who were taken away from Judah by Babylon can come back to their home and they can rebuild their homes and they can rebuild the temple. And so you can imagine the time of excitement that happened. People come marching back to that land. There they are, weary and thin from their time in the exile, but filled with exhilarating hope. And there they, they pull out, they start to cut down trees and rebuild their houses. And it takes them a while to start to rebuild the house of the Lord. But sure enough, the temple as well starts to be rebuilt. Time of reconstruction for the people of God. And this is the time in which Haggai, our prophet today, prophesies. He comes with a message of the Lord. And his very name means festive, celebration. You can understand why, right? People are putting on their party hats. People are pulling out the, um, you know, the, the, the cake because it is time to celebrate. We are back in the promised land. And now a new age dawns in which God's kingdom will grow and expand. So why is it when the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, the festive, the celebratory prophet, on August 9th, 520 B.C., that we actually hear a note of great discouragement. Did you pick that up in our text? We're going to start by looking at that, that discouragement, the temptation to be discouraged, and then we're going to spend some time looking at the encouragement that Haggai gives to the people of God. And then finally, I want to finish by, by asking us, what is our task? What are we to be doing in light of this magnificent prophecy. So let's look at the temptation to discouragement in this text in verses one through four. Imagine you, you go to a party and you're very excited about the party. You've got on your party hat. You know, I, I, uh, Cinnamon Peppa is a wonderful example of someone who loves to party. But imagine that our dear Cinnamon Peppa arrives at a party and everyone is just moping around. The cake is Disgusting. The party hats don't stay on our head. The, the, the little strings snap. 
And none of my good friends showed up. And so everyone's just moping around at the party. Well, that's kind of the scene that we have when we turn to Haggai. Because Israel is back in the promised land, but it just feels like another version of the exile. And in fact, there's great reason for discouragement as they arrive. Because here they come with all these hopes and dreams, but Judah is just a measly 25-mile stretch in the armpit of a major superpower. They want to be a great kingdom of God. And guess what? They're not even a, a recognized kingdom. They're under the heavy taxes and, and, and the great power of Persia. And then they look at the temple, the temple that they've started to build. And it is nothing compared with the glory and the gorgeous structure of Solomon's temple that was standing just 60, 70 years before that. It's like the difference between, you know, uh, the, the real deal on Pinterest and the DIY project, right? They never quite work. There's always this disappointing thing. With, and so this is what happened. The people of God, they come back with all this excitement and joy and they, they rebuild the temple, but they're only three-fourths through the project when they look at it. And along comes an 80-year-old man. He looks up at the temple and tears are in his eyes. And Haggai says, what, what is bothering you? And along comes the governor, Zerubbabel, and Joshua the high priest. And they say, what's wrong? We, the, we, built, we built the temple. Are these tears of joy? And he says, no. I remember. I remember. When I was a boy and I saw the temple and it was beautiful. I remember the, uh, all the structures in Solomon's day and the glory of the people and the glory of God in the temple. And this is not it. You can barely recognize it. It is like nothing. And Haggai turns to the people and he says, is that how you feel? And they, they say, yeah. So everyone bows their heads and disappointment and shuffle off from the project until Haggai speaks to them again. Can you relate to this discouragement? The discouragement to give up in the middle of a temple building project? You know, all of us are part of a temple building project because we are part of God's church. First Peter 2, 4 says this, you yourselves, Christians, are like living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house. What are we doing as we come here every Sunday and then meet on Wednesday nights for home group and then pray for one another? What are we doing as we seek a strategic location in downtown Dayton to reach the nations? We are, we are pursuing a temple building project. We want to see God's kingdom advance in this new covenant era. And we come to that project excited, ready to serve, such great hopes for the ministry, but then the construction project starts. And as we, as we jump in, what starts to happen? Well, you pour yourself into work for Christ's church, but then the burnout starts and you start to say, you know, no one recognizes what I'm doing. No one recognizes what I do for the church. Why should I keep this up? You go to prayer meeting after prayer meeting, but it, it starts to feel useless. The same prayers that you pray never seem to be answered. It feels like they're just bouncing off the ceiling. 
So why, why keep at that? Why keep that up? You spend years telling your coworkers about Christ, but, but then not one of them embraces the gospel. Imagine how some of our missionaries overseas feel. Years and years of building into their community. Years and years of talking to skeptics about the gospel. And, and yet, where's the fruit? Where, where are the conversions to, 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 to Christianity? It can begin to be cumbersome and burdensome to chisel away and to, you know, to pound the hammer into the, the temple building work that is the church. And that's true of the physical building project that we're looking at even this week, right? Who knows whether we will go into this project with great encouragement or whether we'll, we'll, we'll have to slow down and look elsewhere. But even if this building does fall right into our hands, it's only a matter of time before we find things to complain about, the seats being too hard. So much to keep up with, so much burnout, so much tiresome energy spent. And so, then you come to church and you hear an ordinary sermon from an ordinary pastor and you start to wonder, why am I doing this again? Why not just give up? Why not just pull back? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? That ministry can be tiring? That work in the church can be burdensome? We all want to be part of something big, something that lasts, something that sticks. So why is it that the church so often doesn't feel like one of those things? Why is it that, you know, the world around us looks at the church, looks at the temple building project and they say, yeah, that's a royal waste of time. They can pour into their prayers, but me, I'm I'm going to go enjoy the, com- the many comforts of this life. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. Well, the encouragement that Haggai gives to Israel, he also gives to us. We need to hear these words in verses 5 through 9. What were the commands, the words of encouragement that you heard as you heard this passage read? What were some of the, the words that just jumped off of the page and hit you? Be strong. Work. Don't be afraid. These are the words that Haggai spoke to Zerubbabel, the governor who was leading the people, and then Joshua, the high priest, the guy who's in charge of leading the temple worship. And he speaks to them, and then he also turns to the whole people, the whole congregation of Israel, and he says, Be strong. Keep it up. Don't falter. Don't walk away from the temple building project. There's work to be done. There's work to lean into. Why can he say these things to us? Why can Haggai speak these words to a people that are struggling to stay energetic, to a people who are struggling to stay festive and celebratory about the work before them? We can say this because of what we see unfold in the rest of his prophecy. Now, take a look at two distinct reasons why Haggai speaks to Israel and to us with incredible encouragement. First of all, the work before us is possible. It's doable. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just 
You know, Christians spinning their wheels for the rest of their lives. Because look at what he says. These beautiful words. I am with you. The Lord God is with you. Now, why is that such good news when we're wondering if our ministry really matters? Why is the presence of God with his people such encouragement in the midst of a the struggle to stay focused on the temple building project. Well, it's good news because it means that the God of the universe is dwelling with his church, that he is supporting us by his spirit, and that he is taking even our weak attempts to build his kingdom, and he is using them in magnificent ways. Think about this. What is the whole purpose of a a temple building project? Why were the people of Israel building the temple? Well, it's a place that God's presence dwells, right? Well, God tells them before the temple is even fully constructed, I am with you. Do you get what I'm saying? Before the construction work is even done, the very purpose of a temple is already present with the people. And so it is with us. When Jesus Christ tells his disciples, his apostles, and he tells us in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all nations. When he tells us to go and, and, and um, work out that great temple building project, listen to what he says. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's what's so incredible about this, this temple building project before it's even reached its climax, the very point of the temple, God's presence dwelling to enable worship, to support us, to help us, it's already there. And so when you hear a sermon, it's never just a sermon. Whenever you go to a prayer meeting, it's never just a prayer meeting. Whenever you share, uh, have an opportunity to bear witness to Christ, it's never just an opportunity to speak to someone. It is an opportunity for the God of the universe dwelling with you to do magnificent things through weak and feeble instruments. That's why it's possible. That's why this temple building work is possible because we're not the ones ultimately doing it. God is. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 16 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what God is doing right now. He is with you. He is present with you. And just as he was with the people and the Exodus and all the way through their history, he is with you to bless you and to bless the work that he's put before you. So the work is possible, but don't miss this, that the work before us, it's worth it. It's worth it. Verses six through nine. Let's read that again. The Lord says, fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens of the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. 
the Lord says he's going to shake the nations. Now, what is that all about? What is he going to do when he shakes the nations? Well, I have a picture here that I think helps. Last week I was on vacation, or two weeks ago, vacation on, in North Carolina on the beach. And one of the little tools that we had on the beach was a sifter. Where you take you know, this little pot that has holes in the bottom and you put it down into the sand and you shake and shake and shake. And what happens as you, you know, give a violent shake to that sifter? Well, the sand comes out of the holes in the bottom and, and what remains? stuff you want, the treasures. You know, one of the challenges of ministry, I'm going to connect that in a second. One of the challenges of ministry is that we, when we're tempted to give up, it starts to be unclear. What are the things that are going to last forever? What are the things that really matter? Does a prayer meeting really matter in the end? Does does encouraging one another with, with prayer and with, with words of encouragement, does, does that really matter in the end? Or is my time better spent focusing on, on comfort and relaxation and, and the other things that could occupy my thoughts? But let me tell you this. When the Lord shakes the nations, what is he doing? He says, there comes a time when I will, when I will separate the things that are fleeting and don't matter from the things that will last forever. And the things that are fleeting will fade away like sand through a sifter. And what's going to remain? The things that are worth it. And then along comes Hebrews chapter 12, which we also read this morning. And we're told that that is exactly what the Lord is doing through the church right now. He is shaking the nations. The word which Haggai prophesied is actually happening right now. Right now, a shaking is happening. Now, how is the Lord doing that work of a a sand sifter? Hebrews 12 gives us an idea of it. When we come to the church, what we come to is, is a people of God, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It lasts, it endures, it stands. And so what happens when... The word of the Lord is proclaimed. Well, the real thing, things that really last, are distinguished from the things that that look nice but will fade away into into the holes of history. And so along comes a, a, a weak sermon by some ordinary preacher like myself. And what happens? The Lord uses a magnificent gospel to reveal the idols of the world, to reveal... That the comfort and the pursuit of political power and the pursuit of, um, of, of, of any idol and, and, and money and even a church building, brick and mortar church building, if those are the things that we really care the most about, the gospel says they are not going to last. What does last? The gospel. The souls that are clinging to that solid foundation of Jesus Christ because he shook the nations. Remember on the cross, when the son of God died, a great earthquake rocked the landscape because that was when the great shaking of the nations began. 
so that all who cling to Christ find a stable foundation, but all those who are not clinging to Him are on sifting sand and will, and will fall away on the last day into the holes of history. Have you ever noticed that when times get tough, skeptics come and seek wisdom from Christians? I've, I've, I've seen that. When times get really tough, when, when there's a death, when there's you know, a disease that breaks off out across the land, oftentimes you'll, you'll find people who will come to you. They'll come to you quietly, but they'll say, hey, why are you so secure in the midst of all this? What, what do you have that I'm missing? Maybe they'll feel that out indirectly. What are, they, what are they really realizing? They're realizing that what we have can't truly be shaken. And the things that they hold on to, the comforts of life, they'll fade away. What remains in the end is the treasures of the nations, those beautiful shells that are left when when the sand falls away. And what are those treasures of the nations? They are God's elect from every tribe and tongue, rescued from from destruction by the gospel. They are God's prized possessions and trophies of his glory. What are we hearing as as we hear Haggai's prophecy? We're hearing about what really matters. God sums all of this up in the magnificent words of verse nine. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. What could be greater than Solomon's temple? Not 1501 East 3rd Street. Not the temple in Haggai's day. but the church. A group of people gathered around the true temple, Jesus Christ, united to him by faith, and who shine forth the glory of God as a prized treasure amongst the nations. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And the last day, God will dwell perfectly with his people. And in the book of Revelation, that people is described as a temple, a temple that the Lord dwells with. And so as we look to this brick and mortar building, I'm excited about it. I'm not trying to downplay it. It's, it's, it's a potential for strategic ministry, but I want you to see the real deal. The things that stick are what we already have right here. What's already going on. The sifting of the nations is already starting. Now, what does that mean for you and me today? I just want to give you two quick challenges from the book of Haggai. First, jump into the work of the ministry. You've been doing this. So I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Be strong, First Street. Work, First Street. Don't be afraid, First Street. Because God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 18, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is part of the sifting work of God. Right now, you might not be able to see it, but already the things of the world are shaking. 
they are shaking and they are, their, their instability is being shown more and more and more until that final day when the Lord through you shows what really matters. So keep at it. And one way that you keep at it is encouraging others in the work of the ministry. How are you like Haggai? You know, we're more like the prophet Haggai than we might think at first. You know, you're not only part of a temple building project, you're also a prophet to God's people. You're priests, you're kings, and you are also prophets. Now, no, you're not prophet in the sense of speaking new revelation to God, but you are a prophet in the sense that your whole life has been taken up in an encounter with the living and true God. So now, not only your words, but also your witness is a message from God to a watching world and to one another. You see, the Lord calls you in this passage to encourage your leaders as, as a kind of prophet to his people. Notice that this prophecy was spoken to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. Well, you can't talk to them today. You'll see them in glory. But you can encourage your pastor, your pastors, and your elders. Now, this isn't just some shameless plug for you to encourage me, right? I'm I'm, I'm getting this from the scriptures. Haggai says, if we're going to keep at this, we're going to do this right, then you speak to those who lead in your midst and, and, you, and, and you, you build them up. When you see Brad and Andrew and myself discouraged, encourage us in the gospel. When you see us struggling to do our work and do it well, come alongside us with love and patience and tell us the hard stuff. But tell us the hard stuff by reminding us of what we're doing. Because we can forget that sometimes. I just want to remind you that. Brad and Andrew and I can forget the big picture that you've just heard. And then build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. Keep at that temple building project. And the way you do that is by saying, I see you stumbling, brother. I see you stumbling, sister. I'm praying for you. I've seen the way that you're building in into the church. Keep at it. That's an encouragement. What you're doing matters. Thank you for doing this. Keep it up. And when you see someone who you haven't seen for a while at church, you know, say, remind them how much you appreciate their ministry in your midst. Reach out to them when you haven't seen them. Say, look, we're in this together. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Seeing you again soon. And do you know what happens when we start to do that, we start to lean in. We start to get down to the difficult work and God shines through us as weak instruments for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises that are already being realized in your, in your church and that will be realized in their fullness on the last day. We will see the latter glory of the temple We've already started to see it in Jesus Christ and in his church. But Lord, oh, how we wait for the day when the sinking sands fall away and your treasures remain and we behold your glory in its fullness. We pray this in Christ's name that we will see this. Amen.